me do it again? I started talking while you did it. Do your Abby normals. Welcome to Deeply Disturbing Things, the podcast. I'm Macy. And I'm Naomi. And I'm Sarah. And we're three anxious counselors who like to talk about deeply disturbing things. Dive in. And here we go. So we have one topic today. This time I get the one topic. That's right. Sometimes we have a shorty, a little stub. (laughs) That's really disturbing. (laughs) Really, really disturbing. (laughs) Um, So my topic today, let's just start right off. I'm going to talk about near-death experiences. Oh, I love that. Love that topic. (laughs) Do you? You don't know yet. What? I said you don't know yet. Oh, well, I mean, I listen to a lot of uh, people online talk about their near-death experiences. Okay, that's what I was wondering. Like, why do you? No, I just find it fascinating. So I'm excited to hear. Cool. So um, a near-death experience is that personal, profound experience with death or like impending death. Uh, where you may have have like physical sensations, um, uh, feeling like levitation sometimes, warmth, security, separation from self, uh, maybe seeing a light uh, and often, and then people don't die and then come back and report those types of experiences. So what, what do you guys, what have you heard or um, know about this already? Um, well, it's one of those things that there's no proof other than what people report. So you just either have to take it at face value or maybe have doubts or just discount it altogether. So, um, yeah, I've heard, you know, both sides of skeptics saying that, oh, it's just like this electrical firing going on in your brain. And so you're seeing these lights that aren't really like the light, but then, I've really listened to a lot of people's explanations on it and the details that they describe kind of, um, seeing what's happening. Like if they're in an operating room or say there was, they were in an accident and their people are kind of scurrying around trying to save them. And they report, um, very vivid, you know, images or even, uh, full on conversations of what was happening, um, which, you know, you can maybe say that they were, still hearing, you know, they still had maybe their audio going on, but that they were able to see the whole scene like above their body. Um, so I don't know. I think that's pretty cool. And I, I I will say, I do not think we know as much about death as we purport to. I think there's a lot more to it. I think the line is not the line that medical professionals generally assume it to be. Agreed. 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 And there's different types. So um, like having something where you're under anesthesia to a really deep point and you're experiencing those things isn't the same thing as being because for a near-death experience, the actual, the the brain is not firing or sending signals. So that's the part that like, no, those parts of your brain for uh, taking in information aren't operable. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think that big question mark comes into play of 
Um, they're not receiving information. We know they're not receiving information. How did they know the conversation that their son had on the phone outside in the hallway that they reported? Right. Yeah. Like outside of the room even. Right. Right. And then there's that, the scene of kind of that immediate people trying to save them or that they know that they're dead and people are talking about them and then going somewhere else and then reporting on this right. beyond place that they go to, which is also pretty cool and interesting. I do like how the most of the reports of that beyond place is it's a positive experience. Yeah, that's it makes so me true. feel a little bit better that sometimes I'm not going cult- straight to hell. Sometimes it's cultural, though, from, from some of my uh, searchings as well. But um, yeah, this is pretty fascinating to look into. So I I'm, I'm going to pull from two places to get different types of knowledge. One is Wikipedia, because that has, I think, broad general knowledge, and then Scientific American to get more of the brain-based stuff um, to talk about, because there's actually been a lot of research around this. Um, I, there are still theories of what it is, not, there's no answer, so let me just solve anybody's like anxiety that you're going to get something from this in that way. <laughs> you're not. Um, there are no big T truths today. No big T truth, lots of soft T's, but there's a lot of research. So we, we've learned a lot. We just don't know like the, like the why or the specifics of how, but we know some of what happens or can happen. So Ernest Hemingway, um, after having a, uh, a shell explode on him in world war one, he wrote in a letter home that, Dying is a very simple thing. I've looked at death and I really know if I should have died, it would have been very easy for me. Quite the easiest thing I ever did. Hmm. And I like that idea, like, cause I do think we view death and struggle, like in the same thing, like there is, has to be some pain and anguish involved. Um, but for some, and in situations like this, maybe death is easy to slip in and out of under certain circumstances. Yeah, I've heard most people report when they are being told they have to come back, they're like, oh, like very disappointed. I mean, like when you're waking up from a really good dream and you don't want to. Yeah, I would think it'd be similar to that. So Hemingway adapted his own experience of that. Uh, of what he felt was the soul leaving the body, taking flight, returning into his uh, short story, The Snow of Kilimanjaro. Um, So he like integrated it into there. There's lots and lots of examples of how this has been seen throughout history. And um, the equivalent French term, experience de morte imminente, experience of imminent death. Ooh la la. I like experience of imminent death more than I like near death experience. Cause I think near death just almost kind of means like you almost died. <laughs> it's like you swerve toward it and then you right. swerve away. And then you didn't. Where experience of imminent death is more of like you experienced death. I mean, like you did, you did, but then it just didn't stay there. It was an experience. So there in 1890. 1890- are you dead? For a little bit or right not. right that's what they're saying is that's to, important that's distinction i think if it cut off like then that's where they're ruling out in some research ruling out folks who were under deep anesthesia um and saying that that doesn't count 
under this category. And some may say that they, it did because the experience was similar, um, but for most um, terms of it, it doesn't apply. They, they want like heartbeat stop, brain activity stop. From what I've read though, like some of, like after they've declared somebody dead, like there's a lot of activity that continues actually. Hmm. Like, that can, yes. Um, and that's where I think little t comes into play because um, who knows really what is all happening in there during that, you know, what we use to measure it as well. You know, do we have the right measuring apparatus to know that? Right. And we think we know it all now, but it wasn't that long ago that they had to bury people with a little string on a bell to be like, hey, not right. dead down here. Dig me up. Uh because they were declared dead and buried. That'd be so scary. So scary. Um, so all the way back in 1892, there was actually a series of subjective reports taken by workers who like fell from scaffolds, <coughs> soldiers who had serious injuries, climbers who fell from really high heights, near drownings. Um, so they, this has been reported for a very long time. So this isn't something new. And in 1968, Celia Green published an analysis of 400 firsthand accounts of out-of-body experiences, um, which I think can kind of be a subtopic to this because uh, sometimes things like uh, meditation can report out-of-body experiences too. Drugs. Drugs. Um, I have sleep paralysis. I think we need to cover that topic separately. We've talked about sleep paralysis before. Sarah, you have that? I do. That's oh. scary. Yeah. Maybe that you should do your own topic and that could be your well, right. sleep, sleep paralysis and like um astral travel. I don't know if you guys have talked about that much. Astral but. travel, no. But I mean that's what I was thinking of when I mentioned drugs, like astral projections or big This is happening without any drug yeah. <laughs> drug induced situation <laughs> going on over here. Yeah. I'll talk about that later. Well, everything's drugs induce, you know, the brain has that ability. That's why it induces it. Chemicals in there. It just flips the switch. And we often make our, I mean, dopamine, you know, that we create that and we also try to make it in pill form. <laughs> so, so there's general features of this experience. Um, so I'm going to kind of list off some different ones, but for example, in the U.S., where 46% of the population believes in guardians or angels, they often are identified as angels or deceased loved ones that they see during this experience, while um, some uh, Hindu persons will often identify them as a messenger of the god of death because of their cultural beliefs. So sometimes that impacts how it's uh, communicated after, but these ones are the most common. A sense or awareness of being dead. So that sounds like it makes sense, but you actually feeling dead. And I don't know what that would feel like. So that's a hard, a hard thing for me to even like fathom. A sense I've of had a dream about that as well, if you want me to share later. <laughs> well, was it I'm curious because it also has to go along with this sense of peace. Like the vast majority of reports, it's like very peaceful, not like a nightmare of dying or the panic, that kind of feeling. You can share I now. Sarah. I had a dream that I was dead. I've had dreams where I've died many times. And so I'm happy to report that that, you know, some people think if you die in a dream, then you die. It's not 
that doesn't yeah. happen eventually, but, but I've had multiple dreams where I've experienced death. And then it's this feeling of letting go. Like you're able just to, it's, a, it is this very like freeing feeling at first. It's kind of terrifying. Like, oh my gosh, I've had like plane crashes or elevator crashes. And, um, yeah. And then it's like, uh, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm dead or I'm dying. And then, but then it's like, okay, now I just have to let go. And then it feels kind of freeing. Then I had a dream that I was in like this afterlife place and I like recognized that I was dead and I was so happy because I'm like, oh, now I don't have to worry about pain and suffering and, um, just worrying about loved ones getting hurt and, it was very freeing feeling. So yeah, it was actually peaceful. I wonder how that ties in with the sleep paralysis stuff too. It sounds like your mind is very vivid. Oh yeah. I, that's definitely a whole other topic, but, um, yeah, that was, that's a separate thing than the sleep paralysis. That type of dream was different, but it was also very vivid. And this idea of what death feels like was a good feeling, which is weird to say but yeah well I think that letting go versus grasping is a very important concept mm-hmm. absolutely well and I, I know someone who worked in hospice for uh, a long time and often they would like suggest caregivers and family like you know just like let the person be at peace through that process like tr- don't make them feel guilty for being here like let them go give them permission to leave mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the, the next ones are an out of body experience. So perception of one's body from an outside position. So sometimes it's observing medical professionals performing, uh, you know, trying to revive them. Um, not everybody experiences all of these, by the way, but these are common. Uh, a tunnel experience or entering a darkness, a sense of moving up through or going through a passageway or a staircase rapid movement toward or sudden immersion into a powerful light which communicates telepathically with the person where they're now like hearing or feeling a communication of some sort can I tell you one more experience I had yeah yeah don't jump in it's the wine I drank wine without eating today and now I'm like oversharing so you can cut me off at any point but welcome to the club (laughs) I had this other dream, um, where I like heard this beautiful music and I was feeling like I was leaving my body and it was almost like this portal opened up and it was very much like this bright light situation where I was kind of getting like shown this afterlife place. And I was communicating with these beings telepathically and they were like, come on in and come see, come, you can come through. And I was like, no way this, like, I know (laughs) if I go through this, like, I know I'm going to be dead. Like, this is death. Like I'm going to die if I go through and they, what if they, what if they're just the aliens, Sarah, we need to, maybe she's like the case study, Naomi, for your son to talk to. (laughs) Yeah. I would love to talk to Skylar. Yeah. It was very much this portal situation. Like it opened And then I was going through and then these beings were communicating and they were like, come on in. And I was like, no way this, I know I'm going to die if I go in there and they're 
got sucked up into UFOs that I'm here. I don't know, but <laughs> but death might. I mean, we conceive it as death, but on other planes, it's just right. a new beginning. It's not a death. Yeah, it was like this different dimension. I know I sound like super, like out there. No, I'm all in. Okay, so so they started like laughing. But not like laughing at me, but kind of like, oh, you're such a cute little human. Like they were like laughing, like thinking, oh, that you're so cute. Like you don't have no idea what's going on here. And I was just like, I was like, no, no, like I'm not going in there. And they were like, it's okay. You don't like you can, but you don't have to. And yeah, as (laughs) as soon as I was like, I didn't like buy in. And as soon as that happened, I like sat up like I had been sleeping during this and I like sat up in bed and I felt like this impact of my soul or something like coming back into my body slamming back in yeah and I like sat up like whoa that was crazy this is neither here nor there but last night I dreamed that Jessica Simpson was um, flying me around in a little airplane (laughs) and her hair was really golden and I commented on it her hair is really beautiful. How, which which really uh, generation of Jessica Simpson was this? Was this? I don't know, but it was very golden haired and she could really fly a plane really well. And I wasn't scared at all. <laughs> oh, probably, yeah, that's you're trying to overcome your fear of flying. I am trying to. So I woke up, I'm like, I wasn't scared at all. So that's the secret. I just need to get Jessica Simpson to fly me on an airplane there you go. <laughs> with her golden hair. I'll work on it. Uh, other people report experiencing um, euphoric environments, feeling unconditional love and acceptance, being dressed in white, um, or being reunited with deceased loved ones. Some talk about approaching a border or a decision by themselves or returning to their body, often accompanied by a reluctance to come back, like you talked about, Sarah suddenly finding oneself back inside the body. So this kind of like, oh my gosh, now all of a sudden I'm back like that feeling. Um, and then Sarah, that's what happened to you. Right. Right. So, yeah. and, and maybe this goes back to the concept of um, death as an experience that we've labeled as an event. Like when the body dies, you, you, know, you experience death and the body dies and that's it. But maybe the experience of death is, like you stated, Naomi, more complicated than that. And we maybe we experience it at different levels at various points in our lives. Like in Sarah's dreams or in situations where you lose functioning. (laughs) Some report meeting the dead and hallucinating ghosts in an afterlife environment. So... There's some stages that are talked about. Um, of, are, you, are you curious what the stages are <laughs> for what the common stages are? I'm sure they're different for everybody, but yeah. Yeah. Do they all culminate in a tunnel? Um, no. Because <laughs> that's very common, like in stories and in movies too, where it's like, I see the light, and then a, going towards it, and then they kind of get sucked back. It's like, yeah. no, it's a portal. I saw, I'm telling you, I saw this thing. It was like this opening of this different dimension, right. and it was very bright inside of this other place. Mm-hmm. And not just like bright, but just like I knew it was just 
filled with like well, light and goodness. And to give some credit, so there's probably this is actually probably underreported because there's a lot of stigma that's associated with it. Like, oh, you you didn't really experience that that sort of thing. Um, but in 2017, there were two researchers from University of Virginia who wanted to create kind of a paradox uh, situation to test the brain functioning to see if near-death experience could be kind of written off by just a vivid imagination, like when you come back. So the researchers administered a questionnaire to 122 people who reported near-death experiences. They asked them to compare memories of their experiences with those of both real and imagined events from about the same time. The results suggested that the near-death experiences were actually recalled with way greater vividness and detail than either the real or imagined situations were. So it, um, some identified it as being realer than real. The details are very... Right. And that showed true, you know, truer than imagine, imagination and truer than real life, which is interesting. Hmm. So, okay, where, where was I? Right. Ages. Ages. Okay. <clears throat> so this is from a study with 150 patients who claimed to all have had these experience and had these same nine steps. So number one was a sudden peace and relief from pain. Number two, perception of a relaxing sound or otherworldly music. Sarah, you're creeping me out. Um, I, I promise you, like, I know this sounds so like out of there, out of this world, but it really was like, I, I believe you. Well, I who think knows you what happened to you while you were sleeping. I mean, maybe like, I you had a medical emergency. Yeah, maybe it was like a sleep apnea thing. And if oh. I would have went through, then that was, I knew that. Or was maybe, maybe it's like the thin place, Naomi. Like maybe it was where you were or like the certain time of year. I don't know. Maybe it was easier to slip into that place. I don't, we don't it know. Was so, know. It was so, vi- I mean, yeah. like, you were, like you were explaining about that realer than real. It was just, I can't like, yeah. I can't even. And and that's why I went to this route of explaining it, because when you read the stories, it feels so fake (laughs) because they are so like over detailed. It feels like you're almost reading a book about like a story book. And it makes you want to kind of like, okay, and you brush it off. But then when you actually like read from the studies, then it makes those like make sense more. Yeah, the research like so many people reporting this similar experience. Yeah. So the next one is consciousness or spirit ascending above the person's body, remotely viewing the attempts at um, resuscitation from the ceiling. The person's spirit leaving the earthly realm, ascending rapidly through a tunnel of light in a universe of darkness, arriving at a brilliant, quote, heavenly place, being met by people of light who are usually deceased friends and family in a joyous reunion, meeting with some sort of deity that's often perceived as their religious culture would have perceived them or as an intense um, mass emitting pure love and light. So there's, I saw, that's what I saw. There's variety with those in the presence of the deity. The person undergoes an instantaneous life review and understands, and there is like a whole subsect of this that are called life reviews, because not all NDEs yeah. are life reviews. That's is this where your life is flashing before your eyes? Yeah, yeah. Um, so they start, they understand how all the good and bad they've done has affected them and others. 
Um, the person returns to, and finally, the person returns to their earthly body and life because either they are told it's not their time to die or they're given a choice and return for the benefit of their family and loved ones. Yeah. You had a choice, Sarah. <laughs> and you, you're like, no, no, no. And they didn't force you. I, like, I distinctly remember them like giggle, like laughing, like, oh, you're so cute. Like, you're just so like not like beneath us in like this arrogant way but more of just like how you would look at like a pet and like oh you're just so cute you're so cute some people return with renewed priorities and understanding did you have that Sarah yeah are you enlightened um it did make me not as fearful of death after that because I'm like wow they're I mean I was really shown this other place that seems amazing and kind right. of gave me some comfort thinking re- that there was something else out, you know, something else. Right. I, I did read another person's experience who shared that when he, um, when he had his near death experience and he came back, he felt almost like he was a different person on some level. And this also kind of showed true across the research was that, um, this wasn't temporary, so they would come back longitudinally. Longitudinal, longitudinal. I have not drank a word. <laughs> you Are you sure? Drink. You haven't drank any words. It's contagious because I'm like, oh, I'm drunk. I'm getting, I'm getting drunk off you, Sarah, through a screen. So, anyways, I wish there was drunk a vision. Drunk a vision. <laughs> they looked over time, and that feeling um of a change identity persisted over time um so it didn't just kind of go away after a bit of time you know 12 years down the road I believe for that specific individual they still felt like um it impacts how they view and perceive life Hmm. um so five main stages peace body separation entering darkness seeing the light entering another realm of existence through the light um and then coming back So these have been classified as three different types, out-of-body type, mystical type, white light type, and distressing type. I don't want distressing type. (laughs) I don't want that at all. Um, So NDEs experienced following attempted suicides are statistically no more unpleasant than NDEs resulting from other situations, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. So there. Um, One series of NDEs, 22% occurred during general anesthesia. So this is where some people rule that out because they're like, it doesn't count. And other people say that does count. It's because I'm, it's the same experience. I'm so scared of anesthesia just because of weird experience I have on my own that I'm so scared that I'm gonna like yeah well but that kind of speaks weird. to it though like because you're just really under so maybe if you're really under and sleep you can also have this similar experience yeah you can tap into the thin place the thin place yes I like the thin place um so what we know about what's happening in the brain is that local brain regions go offline one after another, after another. So it's kind of like the lights are being shut off sort of deal. It's not like all off at once. I never heard of that. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so 
the mind whose substrate is whichever neurons remain intact then does what it always does. It tells a story shaped by a person's experience, memory, and cultural expectations. So that may play a role into how, you know, you know, why is everybody's different on some level? Um, because the brain is impacting the experience would be what a scientist would say to that. <laughs> um, one person said it was a calm feeling of the most perfect tranquility succeeded the most tumultuous sensation. I wasn't in any bodily pain. On the contrary, my sensations were now of a rather pleasurable cast. Though the senses were deadened, not the mind. Its activity seemed to be invigorated in a ratio which defies all description. For thought rose after thought, rapid succession that is not indescribable, but probably inconceivable by anyone who has not been in this situation. The course of these thoughts, I can now even in great measure retrace the event that took place. Traveling backwards, every incident of their past life seemed to glance across their recollection in a retrograde procession. So theirs would be considered the life review version well maybe as your energy you know is resourced in a different way it's no longer in the physical realm it's like this heightened cognitive spiritual state and and that's where i think modernly maybe western modern medicine would say that death requires loss of brain function the brain is starved of blood flow oxygen the patient faints in a fraction of a minute. Um, the EEG becomes flat. This implies large-scale um, electrical brain cortex, you know, just stops working at that point, um, like a town losing power all at once, all the lights going off, blah, 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 blah. Um, but given the power outages, this experience may produce the rather strange stories that people come up with, but it's hard to tell what's happening after the brain turns off. So U.S. test pilots and NASA astronauts in centrifuges, centrifuges during the Cold War, um, at around five times the force of gravity, the cardiovascular system stops delivering blood to the brain and the pilot faints. About 10 to 20 seconds after these large G-forces stop, consciousness returns and they have you know, that confusion, disorientation um, is pretty comparable to, to a near-death experience confusion when they're coming back. Um, but it's, you know, that somehow isn't the same as a near-death experience. So why, if that's the same process that's technically happening? They're not well-controlled laboratory experiments. We don't know who's going to have them and when. And so that makes it hard to do research on them. Mm -hmm. Would you want to have one of these, Naomi? I mean, I wouldn't sign up for an experiment where they like almost kill me. Wasn't that a movie? I feel like there was a movie where somebody was really Flatline. into NDEs. Was it called Flatline? Oh yeah, Flatlines with um, Kevin Bacon, right? Yeah. Well, and they was it Kevin it Bacon? Somebody, it was, I always get Kevin Bacon and Christian Slater mixed up. It was something around that time. I think yeah, one of those guys. Yeah, it was a good movie. I don't think I've seen it. And I think there was another movie that was like 
the evil person is trying to like gather energy that was created by people that had these NDEs or something like that was trying to collect them. Mm. I just I watched um, The Midnight Club on Netflix. Oh, I've watched that. And I really liked it. I mean, I get into YA content, um, but it's all about all these teenagers that are dying. And it really kind of opened my eyes to some different ways of thinking about death. Mm -hmm. I recommend it. It is scary. Like I had some moments where I'm like, oh, this is actually really scary. Oh, watch (laughs) it. They also, so what was the last one we just talked about? Um, Seizure disorders too. They've looked at like that when someone's Mm -hmm. having a, like a, a grandma seizure, like what's happening in the brain. And again, something similar maybe um but hard to tell Kiefer Sutherland that's who it was and Uh, Kevin Bacon and Kevin Bacon and Julia Roberts I don't I'm surprised I haven't seen that before so that can be our movie review oh good idea what's it called flatline flatliners flatliners okay yeah they play that. with it right sarah if i recall right they play with that line they between were, like yeah, death, life and I, death yeah i don't i don't even think i watched the whole thing for some reason but um yeah it's like they were researching it and then they yeah were, i mean i remember really cool. nothing so it'd be a good movie to watch very like i think they were practicing in an unethical manner <laughs> like we're getting too into it and people are probably dying yeah yeah let's watch it all right i vote yes <laughs> Okay. I vote yes too. All right, um, three votes. I'm not going to go into too much about um, the rest of the research studies, but some of them are kind of interesting. So they've done them in like cardiac rooms where they know that people have more um, likelihood of experience in NDE. So they'll set up like shelves and things where, um, so the researchers will do it where like the people, the staff wouldn't know what's on top of the shelves so Mm. someone has an out-of-body experience and reports something it couldn't be like something where the staff already knew about it and somehow gave that information away and there's like a whole questionnaire that they give people after they've experienced an NDE to to see what their experiences were like yeah just interesting cool so there's spiritual theories around this um there's psychological explanations that it's like a depersonalization derealization dissociative kind of model um one is an expectancy model that basically they um they feel very real but whether consciously or subconsciously our mind may expect to have this experience so it kind of sets it up in a similar way um which is kind of similar to the religious model as well Um, where you kind of expect that to happen. So you're getting those uh, brain signals sent off. Birth models suggest that near-death experiences could be a form of reliving the trauma of birth. Since a baby travels from the darkness of the womb to light and is greeted by love and warmth of, you know, family, I would say sometimes. Um, Interesting theory, but... it, It was proposed that the dying brain could be recreating the passage through a tunnel of light to warmth and affection. No, there's that. Um, others say yeah, I was like interesting. I mean, I can see the connection, but nah. <laughs> yeah, no, doesn't, that's a, doesn't that's seem a the stretch. same. 
that's a stretch. <laughs> the physiological explanations are things like uh, cerebral hypoxia, um, where basically the, the different lobes and regions in the brain are having some abnormal activity with neurotransmitters. Um, what would happen if all these brilliant scientific minds put as much time and energy into proving the theory was right as they do proving it's wrong? Like, this is all like, oh, this is, these are skeptics trying to discount something. Like, if they well, put I mean, all that time and energy into proving it's right, we could be in a totally different place right now. And that's where I feel like it's actually more interesting when I read the study and they're like trying to prove it like wrong. And there's still like a bunch that are like convincing. It's like, well, you're literally trying to make it not true. And it still happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, neuroanatomy and oh, neuroanatomical models. Um, this has to do with um, it's a brain-based model of different regions of the brain, like temporal lobe stuff. So less neuro, um, like neurotransmitter-based, but more lobal-based. Um, and then neurochemical models, multifactorial models means like all of it happening some are low oxygen level models altered blood gas level models um there's a lot there's a lot um there is no answer no big t truth an important question is whether it's possible to to kind of translate people's experiences into a clinical explanation like is that even possible to do um i mean we do it all the time with mental health diagnoses, um, unfortunately, in a lot of ways by putting things in boxes that, you know, there could be over 200 ways to present as, you know, bipolar disorder, but it's still one box. So maybe that's sort of similar. So that's it. That's my topic. It's really interesting. It's super interesting. And scary. I mean, I think it would be I think the idea of having it without ever experiencing it is because like, how do you know you're not going to just die at the end of it? <laughs> I'm yeah, scared. if you decide to self-experiment, like that's right. risky. Is that what Flatliners is maybe? They like mm-hmm. kind of kill themselves and bring themselves back? Yeah. They rely on each other? Yeah, I think that's, they were, yeah, trying to research and, but I don't know if it was just their team was experimenting on each other. If they brought, yeah, I can't remember. I mean, I saw it when it first came out, so it's been a long time. That'll be a good one to review then. Yeah, let's watch it for next episode. Sounds good. All right, flatliners. That's what we got. Okay. If you want to discuss it with us, watch it this week. Yes. And if you didn't listen to our last episode, what the heck did we talk about? <laughs> I talked about snuff films. I talked about farts. Yeah. And if you really would love to support our podcast financially, um, be our patron on Patreon. It's only a dollar and you get access to exclusive content. Yeah. And we do that every week or we try to every week. We really try. (laughs) Until next time. Don't die. Until next time, try not to die. Try or not to die. slip into the thin place. Oh, I don't have anything. I'm a little brain dead from driving for 10 hours today. You're already there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm already there. Until next time. Yeah, just be safe out there, everyone. Buckle up. <laughs>